glad that you're here. A good, pretty good crowd for spring break. I was uh, talking to one of our senior adults in our first service, and I uh, said to him, I said, well, it's good to see you today. I said, I know you're too old to go on spring break. And he said, I'm not too old. I said, well, maybe not, but it'll take you three weeks to get over it, you know. So, but I'm glad that you're here. Let me give you a, a, just a spat of good news. Yesterday evening, I was, uh, I was weeping over the Razorback North Carolina game, and uh, I got a text from Mark Cox. Some of you uh, know Mark, our student pastor for years, and Mark has been sent out by us and some other churches to uh, begin to plan a church in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And so I was sitting there, and I got a text from Mark uh, last evening, and he said, Tom, he said, I just wanted you to know, and I said, I wanted Indian Springs, our home church, to know that tonight we had our first convert, that uh, they were able to lead someone to the Lord Jesus through the, the work of his new church start, and I, isn't that cool? And so I thought I would just uh, tell you guys that, uh, man, God's doing a cool thing, using old Mark in Yankee land to uh, spread the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that cool? Well, listen, I want you to take your Bible this morning. I, we're, it's going to take us a while to get there, but I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, if you would, okay? Hebrews chapter 2, the text I'm going to use actually came from my daughter-in-love in Macedonia. She sent out a thing this uh, a week ago, and I got to reading it, and I thought, well, that'll make a good uh, uh, introduction into what I'm going to be sharing over the next three weeks, okay? Let me tell you what I want to do. I want to begin a three-week series and the title of the series is going to be, This Changes Everything. You know, in our lives, there are things that come that change us forever. There are events in our personal lives. There are events in our national life that impact us and change us. It could be the, the birth of your first child. You remember that? Things are rocking along, guys doing whatever you want to do, and all of a sudden this little blob of flesh shows up and... Uh, your whole world gets rocked, you know. It could be the, uh, the death of a parent. Uh, you grew up with mom and dad and something happens perhaps, age, and all of a sudden they're gone. It indelibly is written on your heart. It forever changes your life. It might be even the death of a child. Something happens in your life that gives you a different perspective forever. It makes you look at life differently. Our nation has experienced that. Some, uh, I doubt in this group, but in the first group, Pearl Harbor uh, changed the United States forever. All of us, of course, remember 9-11, okay? Uh, something that hits you, changes you, gives you a, a totally different perspective on life. As believers in Jesus Christ, there's an event that changed everything. It's an event that has eternal significance. It's event, an event that should alter the way you live your life, should alter the way you act, the way you think, the way you talk, the way you live. It's an event that if it hasn't changed you, then you've got far more serious future coming than now. And of course, what I'm talking about is Easter. But again, I want you to listen to me for a moment. In fact, I, I'm just going to talk to you for a moment before we go to verses. Easter's not an event, okay? 
Easter's not a day. Easter's not even a celebration. Easter's more than one day. Easter is an event that gives us the only remedy for man's greatest need, and that is the forgiveness of sin. As we come to Easter and we celebrate the empty tomb, we celebrate resurrection as well, we should. Let's remember that Easter is the death, it's the burial, it's the resurrection of our Lord. And I want to take three weeks to talk to you a little bit about that. In fact, our outline for the next three weeks is this. Today, we're going to be talking about the death of Jesus. This is his payment for sin. I'm going to throw out a term to you. It may be a new term, it may not be. It's called propitiation. And in Hebrews chapter 2, we'll deal with it for just a moment. But the death of Jesus Christ was his payment for, can I make it personal? Your sin. My sin. We don't need to think that in, in a sense Jesus died for everybody. I understand that. But what I, I guess what I want you to get today is that Jesus died for you sin okay next week we're going to talk about the burial God's acceptance of sin you see there had to be a moment as the wrath of a holy God was being poured out upon his son as he was dying for our sin as he was dying for your sin there had to be a point where God the father young people said enough enough it's sufficient. It's complete. It's paid for. And so next week, I want to talk to you a little bit about that, okay? And then the next week, of course, is Easter. We're going to talk about resurrection. We're going to talk about uh, saints' freedom from sin. We'll talk about liberation, okay? Now, if we're going to be talking about Easter being done for man's sin and forgiveness of sin. Let me tell you what I want to do, and I hope I don't lose you here, but I want to take a little bit of time and talk to you about the origination of sin, okay? Where did it come from? Why do we need to be forgiven? If I were to ask you where did it come from, everybody in this room would all immediately point back to the garden, right? We would say, well, it happened in the Garden of Eden. The guys would say it's Eve's fault, you know, and uh, Adam would say, well, I mean, Adam would say it's Eve's fault, and Eve, Eve would say, well, it's Satan's fault. Uh, the fact is that it was man's fault when sin came and man fell. But here's what you need to know. The fall of man in the Garden of Eden wasn't just an event. It was an event that had lasting results. In the Garden Theologians call it original sin. It's when man turned from God. And at that moment, man's nature changed. And at that moment, man turned away from God. It's the resulting condition of man's nature that now is opposed to God because of sin. We want to blame Adam and Eve. But the fact of the matter is, original sin is what causes us to turn our back away from God. You may have heard me speak or other preachers speak about human depravity. 
You know, depravity is a, is a nature opposed to God. We're sinners by nature now. And then as soon as we're old enough to do anything, guess what we do? We sin. And so we have a nature that is opposed to God. And because of this nature that is opposed to God, we actually enjoy sin. We don't go out looking for God. We don't go out trying to clean up our act. We go out opposed from God. And God, because of his grace, interferes in our life, injects himself into our life. And he changes our nature. And he draws us into conviction of sin. And then through his grace, we're saved from sin. We have a nature that condemns us to separation from God unless God does something. And this great intervention is what we call Easter. Now, let me tell you the burden I have this morning, okay? I'm convinced that in a few weeks, there's going to be a great celebration. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, some of our ladies are going to dress up. Nothing wrong with that. They're going to dress their kids up. Nothing wrong with that. I used to hate Easter because Mama would make me wear white stuff, you know. And we're gonna, and then we're gonna have dyed eggs, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're gonna have chocolate bunnies. Ain't nothing wrong with chocolate bunnies, right? But let me tell you what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that many people, those who may even be part of the church family have never realized what Easter is all about. It's not a celebration. It's the fact that Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And that Jesus rose on the third day because man finds himself with a nature that is against God, deserving hell. And until God breaks into that person's heart and changes their nature, they spend eternity in hell. Through the years and in, in talking with people and, and uh, sharing with people and witnessing to people, and I, I've heard people say things like this, I know that I need to clean up my act. I know that I've got to reform. Some will say, you know, uh, I'm working this out with God and I, I know that I need to change my life. Not even realizing that reformation of the heart, reformation of the soul of the person cannot change a nature. Only grace can do that. And that is grace in the inner man by God. Easter then is the intervention of God into man to redeem his soul for all of eternity. Now I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to talk to you about the death of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? And let me just share a couple things, uh, three things with you. At the end I want to try to draw a net on something that that I believe will be an encouragement to you. And let me just tell you this, gang. Let me tell you what my goal is. Uh, my goal, first of all, is for each of you to determine today whether God's ever interfered into your life, whether, whether he's ever intervened into your life, okay? And if he has, I want you to go out realizing what an awesome Savior you have, what he has done for you, how he comes to your aid. That's going to be the last thing we talk about. How he takes your heart, how he redeems your heart, how he forgives you of your sin, 
and he gives you everlasting life. And it begins the moment you receive him. And it goes throughout all of eternity. This week, as, as we laid one of our faithful to rest, Brother Al, I thought about what it must be like for him in heaven. Because of God's amazing grace, what it must have been like when he opened his eyes and he saw the master. Not because he had reformed his life. Young people, not because he cleaned up his life. Al was a good man. He was a war hero. If anybody could have went to heaven being good, Al was one of those guys that could. But he woke up in, the, in heaven because of the grace of God. Because Jesus did something for him. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Here's the purpose of that that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. And then here's that beautiful verse, verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he also suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I want you to pray with me for a moment, and let me just tell you, um, this has been an uncomfortable week for me, and an uncomfortable study for me, and a very uncomfortable morning for me, okay? Uh, the first service we had, technical, my, my mic's all messed up, I feel like I'm struggling. Uh, I know the nature of the message is not going to be easy, and I tell you what I want to do, I, I think this is important what we do today very important but your pastor is not very comfortable up here and I'm really struggling in my heart and I want to be able to share the message in a way that that God can make us appreciate the death of our Lord and appreciate what he's done for us and so I want to ask you to pray for me let's just bow for a moment okay and ask God to take away my I don't know what it is maybe it's Satan attacking, maybe it's just me, my insecurity. I don't really know, but I, I just feel like I want to run and hide right now. Father, I, I, I know what it means to be a sinner. And Father, I know what it means to be redeemed. God, I know it's all by grace and nothing of works. And God, I, I believe that so many people in our churches, in our nation, just maybe not don't fully understand it. And maybe, God, really don't appreciate it. And God, I don't know if I can help that. I Part of me, God, you know my heart. You know, part of me wants to run and hide. And yet I find myself standing before people I love, 
taking your Bible, which I love, and sharing from it. And God, we, we need your help. When we talk, Father, about anointing, we know that that means your hand upon the, the speaker, his heart and his mind and his lips, but it's also on the heart of the receivers. So God, I don't really know what all is going to come out today. I believe this is what I'm supposed to do. I believe this is the passage. Uh, God, I, I, I pray that, Lord, you'll take the foolishness of a preacher and the words that he shared. And God, I pray that you'll burn him into the heart of those who you prepared to hear today. And God, I, I just, my prayer, Father, is that we'll realize that eternity is a long time. It's a long time when we get it right and understand the death, burial, resurrection, this great Easter intervention. But, oh, God, it's a long time for folks who get it wrong. It's a long time for people who have never been transformed in the inner man. It's a long time for people to play church and then realize at the end that it's not real at all. Long time to hide behind our masks of humanity and pride. And at the end, say, oh, why didn't? Why didn't I get it right? So God, I, as best I know how, with these that you've assembled today, I lay them and I lay myself before you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thanks. Um, let me share with you three things that Easter does with regard to the death of the Lord Jesus, okay? I want you to begin looking with me in verse 14, because the first thing that Easter does, it destroys the power of Satan. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The word powerless that the writer, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the, the writer of Hebrews uses a, a two words, and he, and he kind of pushes these two words together. And the word is defined this way, entirely useless, total abolishment, complete destruction. And I think the picture the writer's trying to present to us is that he had his grip on us. And the Lord Jesus destroyed his weapon, and his weapon was death. Now, when you destroy someone's greatest, most powerful weapon, again, they become useless. And Jesus did that. And in doing that, he gives to us not eternal death, but eternal life. And it begins the moment someone comes to know Christ. As I was thinking about what I wanted to share, or maybe what God wanted me to share, I realized that, you know, the, one of the beautiful truths of the cross and of Calvary is that when Jesus died on the cross and it became real to us, the power of the enemy was broken at that point. Now, I know, I th let me tell you what I think. I think Satan gets a lot more credit than we think. I think that when... Before you're saved, you might say, well, the devil made me do that, okay? But after you come to know the Lord Jesus, 
when Christ becomes real in your life, when he plants himself down deep into your soul, gang, you can't blame anybody for your sin because the power of darkness and the power of sin at that point has been broken. And the reason Jesus died, one of the reasons he died, is that the power that engulfs us of darkness is broken. And we don't have to say yes to sin. Now, I understand we will. I understand we're still sinners. I understand there's no such thing as sinless perfection. But what I'm telling you is this. If you sin after you're saved, you have yourself to blame. It's something you've decided to do. And you have to look yourself in the mirror. And you can't place the blame game on Satan. Because verse 14 tells us that Easter destroys the power of Satan. And that ought to liberate you. And that ought to free you to enjoy God's best and live for God. John MacArthur is one of my favorite preachers. He's an incredible pastor. He's not a Southern Baptist, although he sure smells like a Southern Baptist. And in his commentary, here's what he wrote. He said, the way to eternal life is through resurrection. But the way to resurrection is through death. Jesus experienced it so we would not have to. He went into death, through death, came out the other side, thereby conquering it for believers in Christ. When we read the Bible, we understand that Satan is powerful in a sense. He goes by different terms, the accuser, the seducer, the destroyer. But the writer here tells us, describes him as powerless. And beloved, because of the death of Jesus Christ, and if you're a child of God, he has no power over you unless you give it to him. Easter, the intervention, destroys the power of Satan. Look at verse 15. Because not only does it destroy the power of Satan, but verse 15 tells us it delivers the saints. That he might free, that's the word deliver, those who fear of death were subject to slavery all of their life. Amazing, isn't it? The writer tells us that we're delivered from man's greatest fear, which is the fear of death. For most of mankind, death is that foreboding future that relentlessly keeps creeping with ever-increasing speed when you get my age on us. We see it coming. We're helpless to stop its approaching doom. We spend countless hours, unimaginable fortune to apprehend it. All we do is delay it. And if we die in it without Christ, we're condemned to hell. Separation from a holy God. And yet because the Christ of Easter, Easter redeemed us, we're delivered. We don't die. We just close an eye here, open there, and that's what the word deliver means. It means to be free, to be released completely. No sting in death for the believer. I mentioned Al Dennis to you a little bit ago. I watched Al over the last week 
maybe a week and a half of his life. Now, gang, I, I don't know what goes on when believers in Christ die, okay? I don't know. I used to watch my mother in those last few months of her life, and I watched Al, and, and uh, boy, he could not communicate with us. His eyes were closed, but you would watch his eyes, and things were going on in his eyes. Uh, sometimes he, he would move his mouth a little bit, and I was wondering, I wonder what's going on in his mind. I wonder what is being spoken to him. And I wonder what he's saying, you see. For a believer in Christ, because of the death of Christ, there is no sting for the believer. Easter's intervention destroys the power of Satan. Easter's intervention delivers the saints. But if you look at verse 17, it also defeats sin. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is one of the beautiful words in Scripture referring to salvation. The word carries the idea of atonement for your sin. The word carries the idea of God's mercy given to sinners on the seed of sacrifice. Here's the idea of complete forgiveness, divine mercy. Some have defined it this way. It is God reconciling us who are enemies into him who are now friends for all of eternity. It means those out of favor are restored to favor with Almighty God through Christ. It means complete holiness, allowing complete sinfulness into his presence because of the perfect work of another. We call him Savior for what he did on a cross. We call him Lord for who he is. I was reading this week in, in one of my quiet times about uh, the appearance of our Lord after the resurrection. You know the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember the story? Jesus, I, I think even in his resurrection, Jesus must have had a, uh, a, 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 a streak of, of uh, teasing or humor or something like that because he, he comes up to the guys and he doesn't let them know who he is. And so he said kind of like this, I think maybe, hey guys, what's happening? Now, you may not felt like that, but kind of like that, you know. Hey, guys, what's, what's going down? And they say, well, you know, uh, haven't you heard? And they've taken our Lord. We, we hoped he was the guy who was going to redeem Israel, and we can't even find his body. It was at that moment Jesus kind of pulls the scales back, and he says, oh, foolish, slow of heart. Wasn't it necessary? For Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory. And he was saying that not really for an answer. But the answer we ought to scream is, oh, yes. For he, if he had not died, would have allowed us still to be in our sins. But because he suffered and because he died, he died to take the full wrath of a holy God against my sin. And he allows me to go free. 
I want to show you something in, in verse 18 that really blessed my heart. For since he himself was tempted, in that which he suffered, notice the Bible says, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Because of Christ's divine birth, because of his sinless life, because of his efficacious, sufficient death, the Bible says, He's able to come to the aid of his believers. Phrase so beautiful. Back in that culture, it referred to those with the ability and the responsibility to help those who were hurting. They would come to their aid. It's actually the picture of a mother running to a baby as a baby screams. Think about that. Have you ever been in a mall? People hustling, bustling. No one's looking at each other. Everybody's running to spend money they don't have to buy things they don't like for people they don't even like. You know, and they're just running at breakneck speed. And all of a sudden, a baby screams out. What happens? Every woman in that mall stops and looks. Now, the guys don't. They say, what's that noise? But the gals do, right? And if you, if you watch them, not only will they stop and turn, they'll come. Why? Because there's something about the nature of a mother. That when a baby cries, they care. Some years ago when Jeff and Amy were home on furlough from the mission field, we decided that uh, we were going to go to Alabama to see my sister. And so we loaded up everybody in the van. We looked like, uh, I don't know who, the Clampets going to Hollywood, you know. And uh, I was driving and they were all sleeping, which is what women do when we're going somewhere. It's us guys, right, guys? We suffer for the family, right? Anyway, we're driving along, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and I was watching. Jeff was over there on that side snoring, and Amy was on that side, and I think she'll deny it, but I think she was singing a little bit in, in her sleep. And everybody was zapped out. Caleb was just a little baby, maybe six months, something, I don't know, maybe a year, I don't remember. But he, he didn't even cry. He just whimpered. Now, I'm telling you now, everybody's out. Everybody. And he whimpers. And you know what Amy did? Bam! She was up. Checking. Now, Jeff never did move, man. He never missed a note, you know. But immediately, Amy was wide awake. And she was touching Caleb. That's the picture here. It's the perking up of someone who has the responsibility and the ability to come to the aid. King James has the word succor. Come to the aid to help. A year or so ago, I was on a deer stand. And I uh, was sitting there watching, listening. And I heard a fawn begin to bleat. Now, you know what a fawn is, right? It's a baby deer. And this fawn began to bleat real loud and and um, I, I was, you know, maybe been a predator. I don't know. All I know is this, this baby deer was just, and the woods were quiet. Nothing was happening. But this, blonde, uh, this fawn began to bleat. And all of a sudden, all around me, I start seeing movement. I couldn't really tell what it was. I got my binoculars, started looking. And all around me, there was movement. And I got to, with my binoculars watching, and doe were coming from everywhere. You know what a doe is, right? Uh, doe with deer, female deer, okay? And I got to listening and watching. 
Didn't know there was even any deer within a mile. And all of a sudden, all through the woods, the does began to run to the fawn to assist the fawn. That's the word that is used here. It's the word that is used to refer to Jesus Christ, the righteous, the sinless Son of God, who was willing to leave the very portals of heaven and perfection to come to this earth to live a sinless life and to die a vicarious substitutionary death on the cross so that he might come to our aid, first to redeem us, from our sin. If he hadn't died, we'd still be in our sin. But then to help us, those who are redeemed in life. Luke chapter 4, Jesus said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor. Poor. He's not talking monetary poor. He's talking about spiritually poor. Are you poor today? Do you understand your poverty of sin? To release the captives, those captured by the shackles of sin. Recovery of sight to the blind, those who are blind to spiritual truth, winging their way through life and then into eternity without ever thinking about the things of God. To set free the downtrodden, the down and outers, the up-and-outers, those who are wrestling with the effects of sin. When I was a kid, we, uh, back in those days, we sang, well, we didn't have praise music. We sang hymns, and I like them all. I like our music today. But we used to sing a lot of hymns. One of the hymns I remember, my mother, my mother was, I was five when Mama was saved, so I remember that moment. I remember when a guy injected himself into her life. And, uh, man, I want to tell you, I can remember it as this day that my mama got saved. And she could sing, oh, she'd sing, and she'd sing loud. I, don't, I sing loud like her. I don't sing good like her. But we used to sing this song. It was really an admonition to believers, but it's the idea of what God did. And the song we used to sing, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying, Snatch Them in Pity from Sin in the Grave. Beloved, that's what the death of Jesus Christ means. That he died for us to re be redeemed from death. Now I want to ask you a question. And let me say, before I ask the question, I'm convinced I'm convinced, and I've said that, I think I said it a couple weeks ago, saying I'm convinced that a lot of people that go by the name Christians aren't really Christians at all. I'm convinced that while we may go by the name Baptist, that many are not believers. You see, believers are those who have had the Lord Jesus Christ inject himself into their life. Convict them deeply of sin. And then have rescued them from separation from God. I want to ask you this question. 
has that happened to you? I don't mean here in the head. See, that's part of our problem. We got so much head knowledge. I'm talking about heart transformation. Has it ever really truly happened to you? If somehow you knew that in five minutes after you leave this church, you would die, what would you do different right now? I know we don't know. I understand that. But think with me for a moment. If you knew that when you left this building today, perhaps as you made your way to the restaurant or made your way home or maybe to pack up and, and uh, uh, go on a vacation, a spring break vacation, that somehow God allowed you to know that within five or ten minutes after the end of this service, your life would end. What would you do different right now? Would you, uh, would you think, you know, I need, to get, I need to get right here. I need to, I need to think about where I'm going to spend eternity. Would you perhaps say, you know, I need to explore this thing called eternal life, the cross, the death of Christ for me. If somehow in five minutes you knew it was the end, what would you do different right now? Here's what I think. I think that now is the time to do something. I think now is the time because you don't know. God alone knows. I think now is the time. Right now in this moment that God's given to you to be sure that he has come to your aid and redeemed you. Well, let's pray. Father, I... I, I, uh, well, this is 